church, today's scripture reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the Word of God. for us, the word this evening, and can invite all of us to just bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer. So gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the three candidates that have been baptized. The Lord, as they give of their life to you, we pray that you continue to walk with them. May they continue to be one that will be shining for you. And truly, Lord, as the passage today reminds us that we are called to live a life worthy of this call. And just as the three of them have been called enter into your presence. We pray, Lord, that they walk this life and all of us, a life that is worthy. So we pray right now that as we enter into your presence, we ask of you to speak to us through your word, that Holy Spirit, you will continue to illuminate our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> you know, as we close yet another year and usher in 2023, what is it that God wants of us here in all saints in the coming new year? Well, it's a question that I ask and I seek the Lord. And as I did so, I'm drawn to the passage of scriptures that was read just a while ago by Stephanie in Ephesians chapter 4, and more importantly to verses 1 to 3. And here you find that this is a passage that is written by the Apostle Paul, and here he was addressing to the early Christians in the, in the city of Ephesus. And you find that in this writing of any of Paul's letter you find that there's always this fine balance between Christian doctrine, as established here in this epistle of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, and that of Christian practice as recorded in the next three. <coughs> and you find that in unpacking today's text, I want you to notice that Paul begins with the adverb, therefore. And this is an indication for us that what he is about to write is really linked with the previous section. And this implies that the Christian practice that Paul was going to expound on is really based on the doctrines that he covered in the earlier chapters. I think the slide is a bit slower. <laughs> so in summary, we find that his message here was simply for the early church to practice living out a worthy life. But unfortunately, there are some Christians today, you know, they tend to hold on to this idea that it doesn't really matter, it doesn't make any difference at all to what we believe in. To them, what's important is as long as you live right, that is good enough. They hold to the belief that, you know, it doesn't matter what the Word says, as long as I live a good life, that's all that matters. But let me say that such thinking 
is pure ignorance on the individual part. You see, it does make a difference. And may I add, it does make a big difference to what you believe. Because what you believe ultimately determines how you behave. So take, for example, the doctrine of the hypergrace. Now, those of us, those church who subscribe to this doctrine, they negate the necessity to confess of any wrong things. Why? Because the teaching here is that God has already forgiven our sins, past, present, and, for, and, and future. And so when you confess of your sin, it only means that you have not accepted Christ's forgiveness. Hence, this has led to many believing that it is alright not to seek repentance when they are guilty of a fault. This is wrong behaviour. Why? Because they have been indoctrinated that God has already forgiven them. <clears throat> but if you stop to think about this for a moment, there is something wrong with this teaching. Because if I've done something wrong to you, don't I need to seek your forgiveness? Even though you may know, even though I may know that you may have forgiven me. And if this is so, what more of a holy God? You see, we being imperfect beings, we need to repent of any wrongs that we have done, despite knowing of the fact that God has already forgiven us of our sins. So it's important, therefore, that we need to have the right doctrine to lead, which will lead to right behaviour. And so coming back to the passage here, what was it then that the doctrine that Paul insists, which requires us to live responsively? Well, you'll find that the correlation between doctrine and practice is seen in verse 1, where the apostle writes, he says that, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And when you look into this verse, you find that there are a couple of key points for us to note. For a start, <coughs> Paul begins by affirming that all of us, you and I, as Christians, we have a calling. We have a calling. And what is this call? Well, to put it very plainly, it is a call to be a people belonging to God. And if you were to trace back to the first half of this letter, you find that the apostle in chapter 1 writes that by the grace of God, we are all called to belong to Him. That you and I are people belonging to God the Father. And the reason as stated is simply because he continues in chapter 2, that we have been raised from the dead, that we have been reconciled with Him through the works of Christ at the cross. And then furthermore, since chapter 3 continues to reveal Jesus' victory over Satan, Paul now tells us that it is our responsibility, therefore, that you and I, we need to walk in this life that is a worthy manner that is pleasing unto God. So that's our first calling. We are called to be people belonging to Him. <laughs> but let me add that there's another call of God in our lives. You see, besides being called to belong to Him, we are also called we also have this call to serve Him. And in the same manner, we are called to serve God in a worthy way. And for us then, in All Saints Church, we know that next year will be a challenging year for us. 
because the diocese has given us this responsibility in which we are called to serve in the community. And to be precise, it's a call to serve in the ministry, to do the ministry work with the elderly over at Bedot South. And after a year of equipping, it is only right that you and I, we go forth and serve the community. As Jeremiah 29 verse 7 puts it, we are all called to seek the welfare of the city. But how then do we go about to walk in a manner worthy of these two callings to which we have been called? How do we put it into practice in our daily lives? Well, this is where we come to verse 2, where we find that verse 2 points to us five fundamental attributes which characterize Jesus. And as we look carefully into these five attributes, you find <coughs> that they are practice, there are applications that is something that you and I, we can do. And furthermore, as we look carefully into each of these attributes, you find that we are able to remember them. And we are able to remember them simply by just referring to the five fingers in your left hand. <coughs> Only your left hand, not your right hand. And I'll explain why your left hand later on. <coughs> so the first attribute that Paul mentions here is that we need to have humility. To live out this life that God expects of us, this worthy life, we need to have humility. <coughs> and as we are aware, humility is an important aspect of the Christian life. Because we know that while on earth, our Lord Jesus often taught His disciples on this particular topic regarding humility. We find that He regularly stressed to His to his disciples, that leadership does not, his, his, leaders, his style of leadership does not mirror that of the world. But rather, it focused more on servant leadership. He reminded them that his mission was not to be served, but to serve. And he even took the opportunity to wash, to model, to model this. How? By washing the disciples' feet and even wash the feet of the one who betrayed him. <coughs> he showed humility by riding on a donkey. He was mocked. He was beaten. He died on the cross under the cruelest of the methods. It is clear that Jesus' life was the essence of humility. And as Christians, if we belong into this family of God, we are to imitate Him by clothing ourselves with humility. <laughs> but how do we practice? How do we practice this lifestyle of humility with one another in the church, as well as to the community in Bedok South. How can we go about doing this? Well, <clears throat> this is where we look at what Peter has to tell us. Peter encourages us that we can do this in his epistle where he quotes Proverbs 3 verse 34. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 to 6, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He says, clothe yourself all of you, with humility towards one another. For, God's oppo for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. <laughs> you see, in this letter, Paul was addressing here to both the elders as well as to the young people. In our midst, we have a mixture of old people, young people, not so young people, 
And the message is the same. Paul, Peter's message here was a call for the church to simply clothe themselves in humility. <clears throat> but more importantly, he says it's to clothe ourselves in humility towards one another. So what, Paul is, what Peter is trying to tell us is simply this. If you clothe yourself in humility, you must show this humility to one another. And this means treating one another with respect. This means treating one another with honour. This means that in our dealing with one another, we don't insist or push forth our own way. Rather, we must be more gracious in being, in being welcoming, in being more, <coughs> in being more um, accepting towards one another. And in the following weeks to come, we will delve deeply on this subject and perhaps we will draw some biblical examples as application for all of us. So the first thing that we need to do, the first attribute that Paul tells us is if you want to walk this worthy life to the calling that God has called us, we need to have humility. So the question now is this, which of the five fingers represents humility? What do you think? Which of the five fingers will represent humility? <laughs> Anyone? I hear something, but it's not clear. What do you think? <laughs> pinky. Some say pinky. Agree? <clears throat> the answer is no. <clears throat> the finger that represents humility is your thumb. <clears throat> Why? Because when you look at your five fingers, which is the shortest of all? Your thumb, isn't it? No one's thumb is higher than the rest, right? If your thumb is higher than the rest, then you're abnormal, okay? <laughs> so, your thumb represents humility. And we recognize that the thumb's position is the lowest of all. But yet, despite it being the lowest, I want you to note that it is of great significance. <clears throat> Think about this. If you drop a coin on the floor, try picking it up, try picking up that coin without using your thumb. You think you can do it? It's going to be a bit difficult, yeah? Because we normally pick up something with our thumb, together with, uh, with, with, your, with your second finger. Try writing without using your thumb. You can do it, but it will be difficult. Try unbuttoning your shirt without using your thumb. <coughs> Again, it will be difficult, isn't it? So yes, your thumb may be the lowest of all, but yet it is of great significance. Without your thumb, you find that you cannot do all these acts. In fact, you find it will be very, very difficult. I think Sean can affirm this for me, alright? That in the army, the army values your thumb very much. You know why? Because without your thumb, no matter how much you want to be enlisted, they don't want you at all. Why? Because without the thumb, you cannot hold a rifle and shoot. You'll be ineffective at all. So the thumb, despite being the most, the lowest of all the finger, yet it is of great importance. And the same is for our spiritual life. Without humility, it will be difficult to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. <clears throat> the moment humility is absent, we walk not the way of the Lord. <clears throat> so that's the first attribute. Moving along, Paul next says that besides humility, we also need gentleness. <clears throat> now, unfortunately, our culture is not one that prizes a gentle and quiet spirit. You know, our society is one which we encourage instead to stand up for ourselves 
we, our society tells us that we must not be taken advantage of. We respect those who bulldoze their way through obstacles and challenges in pursuit of their goals. And as Christians, we want to be people of action. We want to go boldly into the world to preach the good news. We want to be warriors for God. We will not readily admit it, but to possess this gentle spirit is not top of our list of qualities that we strive for. <laughs> because why this idea just sounds too weak, it sounds too passive, it sounds too wimpy. <laughs> but church, let me remind you that gentleness happens to be one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the value of this fruit can be found in the fact that our Lord Jesus Himself was gentle. <clears throat> you find that throughout the Bible. We encounter occasion of this gentle side of Jesus instead of Him unleashing His fury. We are told of the incident in Matthew 26 where Jesus re re restrained His power upon His arrest. In verse 66 of Matthew 26, He restrained His power before the Sanhedrin. And then moving on to, to, to Luke 22, we find that Jesus restrained His power when He was mocked by the soldiers. So yes, without a doubt, gentleness is essential as well in our Christian walk and our call. <laughs> because you know why, church? There will be occasions where conflict arrives within us or when within the community where people begin to be weary and skeptical of our intention. What do we do to overcome it? If we deal with it in a confrontational manner, what will happen? It will only lead to walls being built up. But when gentleness is applied, <coughs> it breaks down the wall of frustration. It breaks down the wall of anger. Why? Because gentleness reveals love. Gentleness reveals care and concern. <coughs> so which finger then represents gentleness? The thumb? represents humility? <coughs> Which finger represents gentleness? <coughs> In sequence, la, okay? Pointy. <coughs> Why? Why pointy? Because we simply remember that Jesus as our good shepherd, He never pushes us away, but He gently calls you and I to come and follow Him. <coughs> okay? So we remember the first trait is humility. Second trait is gentleness. What about the third attribute? <coughs> the third attribute, as we continue to look into the passage, Paul says that is expected of you and I is patience. <coughs> now, I think for many, uh, patience is something that is seriously lacking in our life. I'll be the first to admit, <coughs> okay? I'll be the first to admit I'm guilty, especially when I'm stuck in a traffic jam or when there's a queue, it's extremely long, I'm very, very impatient. And I guess it's because due to our fast-paced society, yeah, we have unfortunately grown to be impatient and unaware. We have taken this into our everyday life. And somehow we have taken this into our dealing with people around us. <laughs> so when we find that folks don't change in certain ways or certain attitudes that we expect of them, we become impatient. We become upset and we want to give up on them. And enduring this, you know, small daily frustrations of life certainly can be a big challenge. <laughs> so yes, it can be difficult. But our response, as Paul tells us, 
in another letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians. He says, we are to be patient with everyone. But for many, it seems that this, you know, being patient is just too much to us. But if patient is a struggle for you, just like me, I want you to re be reminded of this, that Jesus was always patient with you, isn't he? Think of the time where God, how many of you have put God to the test? How many of you, you know, where God has told you to do something, but you refuse to do it, and time and time again, you disobey him? But yet, God has not shut you out. God has always been patient with you, waiting for you to change until the time when you're ready to, to respond. He's there to embrace you. So yes, if God never gave out on us, if God never forsake us, we need to be patient with one another until the person responds. We ought to practice patience with each other no matter how long it may take or how difficult it may be. So which finger represents patience? It is the middle finger. Now, bear in mind, another word for patience is the old English word, long-suffering. Right? This will help you to remember why patience is the third finger. Because it is the longest of all your fingers. Isn't it true? Look at your left finger. Is it true? How many of you say your, your, your third finger is not the longest? Then you're abnormal, okay? <coughs> all right? Your third finger must be the longest, all right? This is how we remember patient because long-suffering is another word for patient. So we have gentleness. Sorry, not gentleness. We have what? Humility. Gentleness. Patience. The next attribute, according to Paul, <coughs> is love. And Paul says here, not just any love. He's referring here to the agape love that is demonstrated by Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, John explains that God manifested His love among us. How? By sending His Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And then John continues to say that since we are born of God and we know God, and having experienced this love, we therefore ought to love one another. We therefore ought to love one another. And this one another includes not only the lovable, but as well as the unlovable. Because Jesus expressed this love to everyone in this world. Those who crucified Him, those who killed Him. If Jesus expressed this love and we are called to follow Him, we are to do the same thing. The love that we express must be the same unconditional love because love is the manifestation of us as Christians, as people belonging to God. You see, my love for you cannot be because you tick all the boxes, huh? okay? Because you are nice to me, because Christmas you give me present, okay, then I love you. No, you don't give me Christmas present, you forgot about me, never mind, I still love you. That's the love that God expects of you and I that we love one another with this same love. We love not based on preference. We love because of who we are, imperfect and sinful in every way. And whether in the church or whether out there in the community, rest assured, you come across people <coughs> who may expect a lot from us. You expect people who may misunderstood us. And this is the opportunity where we can practice this agape love. 
we have, because we have been shown this same love, we need to sh- express this love back to others, especially to the elderly, to the helpless, and to the weak. <coughs> so the finger then that represents love, <coughs> this is why I say it must be your left finger, okay? Because if you are married, <coughs> you have your marriage ring on your left finger, fourth left finger, all right? And this is why the fourth finger represents love. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's been said that there's a vein joining your left finger all the way to your heart. True or not, I don't know. Any doctors here? Any of my doctors here? My doctors are not here, all right? You, maybe you can confirm, you can talk to your doctors and find out whether this is true or not. But whatever it is, <coughs> we remember love because of the ring finger. Because in marriage, we put our marriage, uh, we, we put our ring on the forefinger, and this represents love. <coughs> and finally, we find that the last attribute for us to live out this worthy life, as Paul mentioned, is unity, <coughs> is peace. And it's interesting for us to note that our Lord's prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane was to pray for unity of His disciples. This was one of His very last prayers. He says in John 17 verse 11, Father, protect them, referring to the 12, in your name, so that they may be one as we are one. Now think about this. Why did Jesus pray for unity for His disciples? Well, because I believe He knew that if they were not united as one, the devil will come in, create havoc, resulting in division among them. And we can see this in our midst today, isn't it? Yet in the Christian church, we have so many denominations. We have so many different churches. We, we, we do different style of worship. We are not united in that sense. Thus, in our walk, we must pursue this peace with each other <coughs> at all costs. We must not let the devil cause this disunity. <coughs> and this is where it's so important that within the church, and let me challenge us, Let me challenge us that within the church, we can come into friction, we can come into contact with one another, but the challenge for all of us is always to maintain that peace and that unity. We must always seek to be reunited, to come together as one, because as a body of Christ, there can never be that disunity. So yes, our journey is never easy. There will be more downs than ups, but in the end, we are to seek reconciliation. We are to strive for peace and unity. And, we will, and when we do this, we will indeed live a life that is worthy to the calling. And so the last finger then, right, appropriately then represents unity. Why? Because I don't know whether kids do it nowadays. Turn, you all do it or not. Huh? Okay, when you all want to make a pact with one another, all right, make peace. What do we do, old people? What we do, we put our two pinky together, right? We say what? Go, go, so, zi, zhuo, ge, ji, hao, de, bu, de. Wow, my Chinese is not bad, huh? <laughs> Alright, so we make peace with one another. Alright, and so your, middle, your last finger represents unity, represents peace. So as we close, we're going to invite the team to come back up on stage. <laughs> you know, as we, end, as we end the year and approach 2023, The message that God has for us is all of us to live out this worthy life that God has called us. God has called us to be His people. And to be His people, we need 
to put into practice these five attributes. God has called us to go into the community to serve Him. And when we serve in the community, we are also called to serve by using these five attributes because there will be situations where we need to rely on them. <laughs> and so, as we prepare ourselves for the new year, let's prepare our hearts to do this. And just to recap once again, <laughs> the town represents... Town represents... Right? So it's easy for you to remember that as we go into this new year, look into your left finger, remind yourself that we need to be gentle, we need to be humble, we need to be gentle, we need to be patient, we need to be loving, and we need to maintain the peace. So may God help us as we approach the new year. Hallelujah. Yes, Father, let this be our cry that we want to be a vessel. We want to be more like you. And Lord, as we begin this new year tomorrow, Lord, we pray, Lord, that our life will be counted one that is worthy for you, that our life will be pleasing to you. That, Father, as we enter in this new year, may you help us to live out this life, a life of humility, a life of gentleness, a life of patience, a life that is filled with love for one another, a life of unity and of peace. So, Father, help us as we commit ourselves afresh to you. As we enter into this new year, may you continue to challenge us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>